Mashiach now. Amen. May it be your will, Hashem, my God, that a mishap not come about through me. And may I not stumble in a matter of Torah and cause my colleague to rejoice over me. And may I not say regarding something which is to me that it is to whore. And not regard something which is to whore that it is to me. And may my colleagues not stumble in the matter of Torah, and I rejoice over them. For Hashem grants wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding of God. Unveil my eyes that I may perceive wonders from your Torah. Amen. Amen. Welcome, everyone, to Rumination Study for a new sefer of the Parshot. We're in Devarim now, and guess what's coming up? Tisha B'Av. But guess what's coming before that? Shabbat Chazon. So, a lot to get into. So, without further ado, I'm going to hand it over to Shlomo. And greetings, Avarim. This week's Rumination 41. Why are we commanded to love God? Why do the theologians discount this prime command? Hmm. So theologians discount love of Hashem. Wow. That's saying a lot. I mean, to be fair, theologians don't think that they discount the command to love God. But if they understood the command as those who make the Shema a part of their life experience, their appreciation of this command would be far better. How many theologians know what the Shema is, though? At least from the way that it is written in the Siddur. You know, because we can say, yeah, we know Deuteronomy 6.4, but it's actually three paragraphs. And it includes Zitzit, which, you know, when you think about how many theologians actually wear a Zitzit. <laughs> that would be a big goose egg. <laughs> Yeah, it's the answer is obvious to the student of scripture who understands that nothing supersedes or replaces the revelation of Hashem from Sinai. That's but, right. but given the fact that this command shows up in Devarim, which is also known as Mishnah Torah, because it's Moshe 
that is speaking. But a lot of the post scheme note that these are words that Moshe is repeating that are already in the Torah. He is merely repeating them for a generation that is about to enter the land. Because this is basically after all the wanderings in the wilderness. Because one of the phrases we see replete throughout Devarim is today. Hayom. Right. If you will do, and if you are scrupulous in your, your observance of all that Hashem has commanded you, then he will cause you to prosper in the land. Um, Tov Parnasa. A good livelihood. Yeah. That's just, that's just one aspect. That's just one dimension of it. Of Torah observance. You know, it's... The irony is interesting because in Christianity they say, oh, we don't want traditions of men, and yet they've created traditions themselves that are separate and distinct from greater Israel. Hmm. Because of the church fathers who wanted nothing to do with anything that they perceived to be Jewish commandments, but when in fact they are the very commandments of Hashem, his loving instructions. Don't we read something along the lines for they are our life and the length of our days? In this safer. Yeah. <laughs> well, one of the things, too, if you look in your Sidur, uh, on in the commentary for the blessings of the Shema, the first thing it says is that this is about Hashem's oneness and his mastery over nature. And if we would think nature as in like, you know, trees and the ecosystem and things like that, what about the nature of man? Namely our Yetzahara and our Yetzer Tov. Because those are also natures that Hashem is master over as well. Or at least we have the the opportunity to grant him the mastery over that because obviously we're given free will. And it's interesting because you, you see nature being obedient to Hashem and then you see man being disobedient to Hashem. And so it's like we have the opportunity to learn from nature to subject ourselves to Hashem. Yeah, I'm reminded of the Adam Alam prayer. Oh, yeah. Because in my Siddur, it precedes the uh, morning prayers. Mm -hmm. you're, you're reciting this before you... <clears throat> you're reciting this after you have Don Talit and Tefillin. Um, 
you know, master of the universe who reigned before any form created at a time when his will brought all into being. And when all has ceased to be, you alone will reign in splendor. It speaks of his kingship that he alone is the supernal source of all life force in the creation. And that creation being an expression of who he is, and that includes us as well, it behooves us to keep that in mind. He's the creator. We're the creation. Exactly. He has determined what is good and what is bad. That's his job. It's not ours. Um, I believe I sent you a, a PDF from uh, Aleph Beta, Rabbi Foreman. Yes, sir. I got to read it. Yes. And Super then, thorough. <laughs> 16 pages. He really just beautifully makes the connection between Tishbaav and the garden. 100%. But also, you know, with the spies as well. Because Hashem has said, the land is good. It wasn't their job to determine whether or not the land is good, because after all, this is what one of the core aspects of Tishbaav, of the destruction of the temples, is that Hashem has never let us forget about the sin of the spies, because they practically accused him of lying. Yikes. Which is what Hasatan, the serpent, actually accused Hashem of. Yeah, you take that back to the garden when the Nakash was planting and even notice what he says. This really stuck out. Did God really say? And notice that he leaves out the four-letter name of Hashem and only uses Elohim. Hmm. Taking away compassion and mercy and loving kindness. And immediately I thought of the two sides of the tree of life in Kabbalah. You have Gavura on the side of Ima. You have Hesed on the side of Av, Abba. By, by not mentioning the four-letter name, he got Eve to focus only on the king, on the strict aspect of justice. And not the father. Yeah, the loving father who says, don't eat this of this tree. I've already given you the others. That's the positive that we should be coming away with. But they didn't do that. And also they didn't appreciate the fact that it was a gift that was given to them of being in the garden and all creation, all the, the trees that they could eat from. And so they couldn't remain in the palace of the king. You know, what's so interesting that makes me think about the letter that Yaakov wrote, uh, verse, chapter 1, verse 17. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, 
with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. You see in this aspect, you see good, you see perfect gift, you see from above coming down from the Father, the element of compassion there. And so we're talking about Hashem who said what is good, you know, and then exchanging that is what the Nakash did and the spies. And this is what we do as well when we sin. Yeah, it's he also brought out something else is that we have this personal belief systems all over the place, such as the denominations that every that everyone just hides behind. Wow. Rather than coming face to face with the revelation of the supernal, the holy one, blessed be he. Because the other thing that the Nakash played on was the fact, so why can't you be like God? Because that's what he said. But Eve, to her credit, quotes the Holy One, blessed be he, word for word, and says, we can eat of every tree of the field, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, he's told us not to. No, she actually focused on the positive mitzvot rather than the negative one. That's great. It's a good start. <laughs> and so the Nakash's attempt you know, does a belly flop. He just like belly flops and sinks to the bottom of the pool. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, but he doesn't quit. <laughs> no, he keeps on going. He keeps pushing it, you know, and finally as a result of all this, the dynamic of the relationship between Adam and Hava changes. Because what do we see in, in subsequent verses where it says, and Adam knew his wife? It's intimating that he knew about Eve's transgression. She's not the partner that she's supposed to be. And so how can I be truly intimate mm. with her? Not just, not just physical intimacy, but emotional intimacy. Because this, I mean, this more than the physical uh, is the bedrock of any stable marriage between a man and, a, and, and wife. Because without this deep level of trust and and building your marriage, your house on, on the Torah, which is the rock, you, you basically have nothing. You just have suspicion. You're accusing one another, which is what they did. They kept passing the buck. Oh, the woman you gave me to be my wife caused me to eat. And, you know, and it goes on from there. Mm -hmm. You know, so... So and, breakdown in the relationship, basically. Yeah. Both vertical and horizontal. Like the two tablets. Exactly. The first five commandments are vertical. The next five are horizontal. Wow. Which, speaking of that, uh, Rabbi Trugman Shlita brought down 
the uh, teaching of the Arizal about the Shvirat Tachelim, the breaking of the shattering of the vessels, the primordial vessels. And he actually related it to the three weeks because we start the three weeks with the breaking of the tablets, which there are two. And we end the three weeks with the breaking of the temples. And there are two. So you literally have these bookends of these two entities that are broken. That both represent a horizontal and a vertical relationship that was broken. Yeah, then, you know, what when R Rabbi Foreman starts off that video and that uh, mm -hmm. and the, he uses Aka, but then you have Ayaka. Where are you? you? Yeah. Spelled the same, but the pronunciation is different. Mm. It's almost as if Hashem is saying he's the one lamenting the separation. What are we truly mourning over on this, on this the saddest day of the year? What is it at its heart? deep down inside. It's the exile of the Shekinah. It's no intimacy with Hashem. Because at his heart, the Mishkan is all about getting back to the garden. So this is why Mashiach Yeshua says, Father, why have you forsaken me when his body was being broken? which is likened to the destruction of the temple, by the way, because it talks about the death of the Zadik being like the, the burning of the temple or like the breaking of the tablets when you read the Midrash. So it's interesting that it wasn't so much of like what was going on on the surface, but like you're pointing at what's behind all of this, what's at the core of it. There's that, that exile, the Shekinah, there's that separation that's going on yeah so you have exile from the garden but then you have redemption even after that you know so this is just another thing that's keeping us in in galut the exile yeah you know it's you know, the sages say he who does not mourn over the temple is as if he participated in its destruction. And any generation in which the temple is not rebuilt Built. is on the same level as that generation in which it was destroyed. Yeah. But then the words of the master, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often when I've gathered you under my wing like a, a hen gathers her brood, but you would not. Behold, your house is laid desolate, and you will not see me again until you learn to cry, Baruch haba b'shem Adonai. I like to connect that with uh, Divrei Hayamim Beit 714. And if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray 
and seek my face and turn, turn, shuv from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. That's super legit. <laughs> wow. That's a say right there. Because, yeah. like, the whole meaning of Baruch HaBavashim Adonai being, like, humbling yourself, also being a person who was in the wrong, you know, I think about look upon him who we have pierced. You know, because understanding that the prophets and the message that they're speaking, it's not us rejecting them. It's us rejecting Hashem. We actually pierce Hashem. And yet he's just like, I'm willing to heal you from that point. Um, I think it's in Isaiah, I will heal your wrong ways. I will love you so freely. Um, I mean, the other thing I'm thinking of from my Sidur is the Mika prayer. Oh, a song Hosea. Hosea says that. Hosea chapter 14. Let's go there. Let's let's see what let's see what Hosea has to say to us. Hosea. No problem. Which this is a really cool passage because this is the part that says, take words with you and return to Hashem, which the Roche Tevot of that phrase, take words with you and return, is Akkad, which is the root of Akeda. But it's a uh, verse five. It says, I will heal their affliction. Generously will I take them back in love, for my anger has turned away from them. If you want to have it in the, the layman's English terms, I will heal you of your faithlessness. My love will know no bounds. I will love you freely. You know, my anger will be gone forever. I will heal their apostasy is one way of saying it. Another way of saying it, I will heal their backsliding. CJB says I will heal their disloyalty. Mm. See, that reminds me of, see, at its heart, that's what the Shema is. It's our, dec it's our declaration of our unswerving allegiance to the king. The healing of the backsliding is the Shema. And the other thing is, is that, um, of course, the two letters that are made large, the ayin and the dalet made, made large, spell the word aid, witness. You bear witness that Hashem is our king. And that, and there's, and that there's, yeah, there's no other. And he says, you will be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Uh, Isaiah 43.10. You are witnesses, says Hashem. 
Man, I love how everything is so seamless. This is just just a, a this may sound like a swerve, but it's really not. Um, I watched the the Marvel Loki series. Beautifully done, crazy, obviously. <laughs> but one of the things they talk about in there is this type of um, it's like an ancient art where it's like you take gold and you uh, lace it into shattered earth earthen vessels. So something that gets broken and you you basically seal the pieces back together with like this gold kind of uh, epoxy of some sort. And uh, they were they were using that as a uh, as a time uh, reference, saying that like broken timelines and, and the gold and all those things. So the reason I bring that up is because it's like there's been a lot of brokenness that's happened with the teachings of the Mashiach, the teachings of the Talmudim of the Mashiach and the teachings of the apostles, which are completely different from the Talmudim of Mashiach because there's the 12 and then there's the apostles. So like the 12 are apostles, but the apostles are not the 12, if that makes any sense. But it's like this, this beautiful thing that the more, like, especially with the rumination studies, especially with those who are returning to Torah with their faith in the Mashiach, you know, it's like that gold, uh, that gold uh, bonding agent is like, it's showing. So I, I thought it was really interesting that one of the popular, well, I don't know how popular it is, but one of the shows that's out right now uses that as a huge arc of the story saying that you know there's this this gold trim that bonds everything together and it's like this beautiful thing so as we're seamlessly interweaving these passages of scripture with passages of commentary and writings of letters and pieces of the gospel accounts you know i i just think that's such a beautiful thing because it's it's so divorced uh, as far as the way it's been portrayed for the past 2000 years, you know, people thinking we need to worship on Sunday and people thinking we need to have other festivals and eat whatever we want, you know, and things like that. And it's like, actually that's, that's false. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, not to belabor the point, but just to <laughs> bring that up. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, Yeah, it's just thinking of the Avinu Malkanu prayer. Avinu Malkanu Katahenu Lifaneka Rachem Aleinu. Our Father, our King, we have sinned before you. Have mercy on us. Our Father, our King, we have no king but you. Our Father, our King, deal kindly with us for your name's sake. Our Father, our King, inaugurate upon us a good year. Our Amen. Father, our King, nullify all harsh and evil decrees against us. Our Amen. Father, our King, nullify the thoughts of those who hate us. Our Amen. Father, our King, thwart the plans of our enemies. Amen. Our Father, our King, exterminate every foe and adversary from upon us. Our Amen. Father, our King, exterminate pestilence, sword, evil, famine, captivity, 
plunder, destruction, pestilence, evil inclination, and serious illness from the members of your covenant. Yes, can you hear our tone? Our Father, our King, send complete recovery to all the sick of your people. Amen. Our Father, our King, withhold the plague from your heritage. Our Father, our King, remember that we are but dust. Amen. Our Father, our King, pardon and forgive all our iniquities. Our Father, Amen. our King, tear up the evil verdict against us. Amen. Our Father, our King, erase through your abundant compassion all records of our guilt. Amen. I think of the psalm, you know, if a shadow mark iniquities, who would stand? Ooh. Our Father, our King, wipe away and remove our willful sins from your sight. Our Father, Amen. our King, inscribe us in the book of good life. Yes. Our Father, our King, inscribe us in the book of the righteous and pious. Our Amen. Father, our King, inscribe in us, inscribe us in the book of the upright and perfect. Amen. Our Father and King, ascribe us in the book of pardon, forgiveness, and atonement. Our Father, our King, ascribe us in the book of good livelihood and sustenance. Amen. Our Father, our King, ascribe us in the book of redemption and salvation. Amen. Our Father, our King, recall us with a favorable memory before you. Our Father, our King, make salvation sprout for us soon. Our Father, Amen. our King, raise high the pride of Israel, your people. Our Father, our King, raise high the pride of your anointed. Our Father, our King, be gracious with us and answer us. Our Father, our King, return us to you in perfect repentance. Amen. Our Father, our King, hear our voice, pity, and be compassionate to us. Our Father, our King, act for your sake, if not for our sake. Our Father, our King, accept with compassion and favor our prayer. Our Father, our King, please do not turn us from turn us from you empty-handed. And then after that, you have the Psalm uh, prayer. You know, we have become guilty, consisting of twenty-two stanzas corresponding to each letter of the Olive Bet. Wow. What's the uh, the Hebrew for make salvation sprout? Because uh, it says make it sprout quickly, right? Avinu malkeinu hatzemach lanu Yeshua bekarov. Okay, because that's the Mashiach now prayer, actually. <laughs> yeah. As you were saying that I was thinking, oh, wow, like that's a more technical way to say it. Bay Ivri. Oh, yeah. So to continue on, if we are no longer under the law, quote unquote, as some misquote Galatians, are we still under this law? If I am under grace, am I free to cast aside the commandment to love God with all my heart, soul, and might? 
If so, why then why did Yeshua declare this to be the greatest commandment in Matthew 22:38? Clearly, the theologians do not understand what it means to be commanded to love Hashem your God if they think it survives their scribe's knife where they cut out whole portions of scripture in favor of their tradition. That brings up an interesting dichotomy and irony. For the Jewish people within the confines of Judaism have been accused of having traditions of men. And the Talmud evil spoken of, which they do not understand, and yet Christianity has made it up as they went along their own traditions. Literally laws of man. Yes, exactly. Like, for instance, the reason why the Sabbath is, quote unquote, the Sabbath is on Sunday. Literally because a man made that law. A decree of a Roman Caesar. It's Which is they're... crazy because he has no no authority to do so. Because, like, the sages have the authority to actually institute things like, I don't know, saying the Hillel or saying uh, or celebrating Hanukkah or Purim, for instance. Yeah. They have the authority to institute those things. But to change the Sabbath? Nobody has authority to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but yet it's happened and like I don't know that's such a popular thing that happens today it's just like oh yeah yeah I've had a I mean the, the Pentecostal congregation I went to for many years um, shortly after uh, coming in the Torah I listened to a message um, because someone posted a, a message uh, <clears throat> A message on Facebook indicating that he's going to talk about this because a lot of the people in his congregation were asking, you know, why is it that we don't observe the Sabbath? Mm. So he he has the book, The Sabbath, by Abraham Yosef Heschel. Nice. He's a Christian pastor who has this book. And I had to comment, make sure you understand that book properly. It's a deep book, man. <laughs> it is. There is so much there. But the thing is, is that he gets up and delivers his sermon and his sister says that Jesus is our Sabbath. And I thought to myself, you have just missed the point of that book. And you should really read Luke 4.16. Hmm. There is I mean, that. this is another aspect of how we demonstrate our love for Hashem and our observance. You know, Shabbat is one of them. It's the bookend of creation. How can we not? I'm reminded of that in my Sudur every time I do Kiddush. It is a prologue to the Holy Convocations, the first of them. I mean, it's a day that he said he sanctifies 
time. I mean, get your head around that one. That is like really deep. I mean, you have to meditate on that and realize, you know, that the king of the universe has said, this is my day. Because he looks back on everything and says, Kitov, it is good. Right? He has, see, this is the other thing. He has judged it to be good. It is not our place to say otherwise. It has been decreed by the heavenly court. That's it. There is no annulling it. So Hashem said the Shabbat is good, but man has come along and said, well, Sunday is good. Just the same way that we were talking about just a little bit ago with the tree, the knowledge of good and evil. Like, now this is good. Yeah. Wow. The lie of the Nakash. Getting her to, if you eat this, you'll be like God. Man. And it just changed the dynamic of the relationship. Not just between Adam and Hava, but between the two, those two and Hashem. Because they kept seeing him as Gavura. Elohim, not Adonai Elohim. You realize that's what's happened to the dynamic of the relationship with Hashem has changed since the Sabbath changed. Yeah. And he's being portrayed as a God of love, but it's actually a God of Gavura because unless you accept the JC character, you're going to Gehenna. You're, you're in trouble. And if you do anything in response as an expression of love for JC, that's also not good. I.e., if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So if someone says that they love the Messiah and then they go out and do a mitzvah, it's like, oh, no, don't do that. That's trampling grace underfoot, you know, and so it's just like this sneaky gavura kind of thing like a backhanded i don't know it's it's just it's super corrupt yeah it is it's (laughs) there was an insight i was looking for about i believe it was a lakute torah because it was saying how can hashem command us to love him but I can't remember why I uh, read that, but, you know, just to the rumination that we're looking at, it's interesting that Hashem can say, yeah, I command you to love me. <laughs> and note that love, ahava, is a verb. Yeah. And, note, and grammatically speaking, note the object of the verb. Hmm. Be ahavta et. Adonai Eloheka. You see the four-letter name, then you see Eloheka. Don't forget the Aleph Yes. Because guess what the Zohar is? It's a direct, the Aleph Tav is a direct object marker. It is used in that manner grammatically. If you take the verb, 
The subject of the verb is who? Adonai, Eloheka. You're to love him. Love is a verb. And how is this and how is this verb actualized? How is it efficacious? By our scrupulous observance of the mitzvot, mm-hmm. of his loving instructions. <laughs> Anyone who draws you away from the Torah clearly does not love Hashem. Sounds this, like the Nakash. Yes. The church is given over to this huge lie. And this is at the heart of his deception. This is how he really pulled the wool over Eve's of his eyes by getting her attention so focused on Elohim, strict attribute of justice. Because what do you see in the preceding days of creation? You see Elohim mentioned, but not the four-letter name of the Holy One, blessed be he. It's not until Genesis 2 and three, that you see the four-letter name with Elohim. The balance. Because now you have the two sides of the tree of life. Abba, Ima, balancing each other out. But because Adam and Hava disobeyed, that's completely out of balance now. What do you see today? You see feminism, you see Ooh, come on. Homosexuality, <laughs> lesbianism, all this, all this stuff, all this garbage that is just totally out of balance. Completely yeah. opposite to what Hashem has said. It's Adam and Hava, not Adam and Steve. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know. And, and what are they doing? They're passing all kinds of laws to make it impossible for you to speak out against it, saying that it's a hate crime. Yes. This is this is more of the poison of the knockoffs. And you want to know how crazy it's gotten? It's even down to a mathematical binary entity to where if you're using numbers in a certain way that's considered racist. Discrimination based off of math. So it's it's moving into a binary form of hate crime which I think is so interesting because what is one of the binary forms of insights through Torah, none other than gematria. So the Sitra Akra has its own gematria that it's tapping into. And it's saying, yeah, if you're, if you're into numbers and, and being so mathematically accurate on things, then that's a form of discrimination, which I don't even understand how that works. Like that doesn't add up to me, pun intended, but you know, <laughs> yeah, it's just kind uh, of yeah. <laughs> that is totally a thing that's like sprouting as we speak. Yeah. That's the era of Rav. That's the agenda of the era of Rav, the rabble. Wow. I've heard a congressman say, I was, this is kind of a while back that God is irrelevant. He doesn't belong in, in the house in the senate it's irrelevant to us enjoy shipwreck (laughs) Hashem laughs at that why do the nations 
rage and envision a envision evil. They have raised themselves up against his anointed. You know, the Psalm too, you know, he he Hashem laughs. The day of your calamity will come. Oh yeah, and the other thing is uh, Psalm 24. Who can ascend the hill of Hashem? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. And pure heart, meaning that it is not divided between the world and Hashem. Wow. So just as a spoiler, you mentioned you were going to cite something from Shar Shar Ray Hayyud, right? Uh huh. A, a section of Tanya. Yeah. Well, I was running through the uh, the annals over here to look about the requiring to love Hashem, and would you know? There's something from Shar Ray Hayyud. It says that. Uh, Rabbi Schnur Zalman of Liadi addresses this latter question directly. So how can a feeling such as love be obligatory, basically? And it is says, quoting the verse, for if you keep all these commands, which I command you to do them, to love the Lord your God, he asks, how is, the how is it that the Torah uses the language of doing regarding love the heart? Love is not an action, but rather a spontaneous feeling, which cannot simply be enacted at will. So uh, it was just a beautiful introduction, but I thought it was interesting because you're one of the sources is Shari Hayyuku. <laughs> well, I just opened it up to uh, chapter seven. And he starts off with... Uh, uh, with the above of my, in mind, we may know now know, understand the statement in the Holy Zohar that the verse Shema Yisrael is Yakuda uh, uh, Ela'a, higher level unity. And Baruch Shem Kavod Malkuto Leolam Va'ed is. Yakuda ta'a ta'a, lower level unity. For va'ed is ekad, through the substitution of letters. Wow. Yeah, and the no footnote for that, Zohar 2, uh, one... 34, according to the rules of Hebrew grammar, the letters and the alphabet are divided into various groups, e.g., according to their source in the uh, organs, organs of speech. And the letters in each group are interchangeable. The letters Aleph, Hey, Vav and Yod fall into this and fall into one group. Therefore, Aleph may be interchanged with Vav. 
the letters Aleph, Het, Hey, and Ayin fall into another category. Thus, Het may be interchanged with Ayin. Hence, Echad becomes Va'ed. That is so deep. Oh my gosh. Wow. Man. Organs of speech, huh? Mm-hmm. The, I thought Atbash was crazy. <laughs> Remember Dafei uh, Tang, The Secret of Pesach? Pesach uh-huh. is the redemption of speech. Wow. And um, you know how Moshe stuttered, right? When he told Hashem, you know, I, I stuttered, you know? It wasn't until Sinai when he was when receiving the Torah that his speech was rectified. That's right. So see the cause and reason for this uh, zim sum and concealment that the Holy One, blessed be He, obscured and hid the life force of the world to make the world appear as an independently existing entity is as follows. It is known to all that the purpose of the creation of the world is for the sake of the revelation of his kingdom. May he be blessed, for there is no king without a nation. The word um, nation is related etymologically to the word uh, omi menot, concealed, dimmed, for they are separate entities, distinct and distinct, from the level of the king. For even if the king had very many sons, the name kingdom would not apply to them, nor even to nobles alone. Only a multitude of people is the glory of the king. And that is from Proverbs. fourteen twenty eight. 1428. The name which indicates the attribute of his Malkut, kingship, royalty, may be may he be blessed, is the name Admut, Lordship, for he is Lord of the whole earth. Thus it is this attribute and this name which bring into existence and sustain the world so that it should be as it is now, a completely independent and separate entity and not absolutely nullified. For with the withdrawal of this attribute and this name, God forbid, the world will revert to its source. Hmm. In the world of God, and see, in the word of God and the breath of his mouth and would be completely nullified there, and the name world could not be applied to it at all. The term world can be applied solely to that which possesses the dimensions of space and time, space referring to east, west, north, south, upward, downward, and time to past, present, and future. All these dimensions have no relation to the holy supernal attributes, only concerning the attribute of his Malkut, may he be blessed. Is it possible to say that he, may he be blessed, is king above without end 
and below without limit, and likewise in all four directions. This same is true concerning the dimensions of time, as it is written, God reigns, God reigned, and God will reign. Thus, the life force of space and, like, and likewise of time and their coming into being from nothingness and their existence as long as they shall exist is from their attribute of his Malkut. May he be blessed and the name Admut, blessed be he now since the attribute of his Malkut, may he be blessed, is united with his essence and being in an absolute union as will be explained. Therefore, space and time are also completely nullified in relation to his essence and being. May he be blessed. As the light of the sun is nullified in the sun. And this is the meaning of the intertwining of the letters of the name Admut with the letters of the name Havaye. The name Havaye indicates that he transcends time for he was he is, and he will be at the same instant. As is explained in Ra'aya Mahemna on the portion of Pincus, and likewise is he above space, for he continuously brings into existence all the dimensions of space everywhere, from the uppermost to the lowestmost regions, and in the four directions. Now, although he is uh, superspatial and supratemporal, nevertheless, he is also found below in space and time. That is, he unites with his attribute of Malkut from which space and time are derived and come into existence. And this is Yakida Ta Ta'a, the intertwining of the letters of the name Avaye with the letters of the name Admut, blessed be he, i.e. his essence and being, may he be blessed, which is called by the name Ain Sof, infinite, completely fills the whole earth temporally and spatially in the heavens above and on the earth below and in the four directions, all are equally permeated with the light of the Ain Sof. Blessed be he, for he is on the earth below exactly as in the heavens above, for all heaven and earth are within the dimensions of space, which are completely nullified in the light of Ain Sof. Blessed be he, which clothes itself in it through the attribute of his Malkut that is united with him. May he be blessed. However, the attribute of his Malkut is the attribute of Sinsum and con and concealment to hide the light of the Ain Sof, blessed be he, so that the existence of time and space should not be completely nullified, and there will be no dimensions of time and space whatsoever, even for the lower worlds. <clears throat> now, from the foregoing exposition, the verse I, Havaye, have not changed will be understood. This means there is no change in him at all. Just as he was alone prior to the creation of the world, so is he alone after it was created. And thus it is written, you were the same before the world was created. You have been the same without any change in his essence, nor in his knowledge. 
for by knowing himself, he knows all created things, since all come from him and are nullified in relation to him. And as Maimonides of blessed memory stated that he is the knower, he is the known, and he is the he is knowledge itself, all are one. This is beyond the power of speech to express, beyond the capacity of the ear to hear, and of the heart of man to apprehend. Clearly, for the Holy One, blessed be he, his essence and being and his knowledge are all abundantly one. From every side and angle and every form of unity, his knowledge is not superadded to his essence and being. As it is in the soul of man whose knowledge is added to his essence and is compounded with it. For when man studies a subject and knows it, his rational soul was already within him before he studied and knew it. And afterwards, this knowledge was added to his soul. And so day after day, they speak and a multitude of years teach wisdom. This is not a perfect unity, but a composite. The Holy One, blessed be he, however, is a perfect unity without any com composition and plurality at all. Hence, preforce his essence and being and his knowledge are all absolutely one without any composition. Therefore, just as it is impossible for any creature in the world to comprehend the essence of the creator and his being, so it is impossible to comprehend the essence of his knowledge only to believe with a faith which transcends intellect and comprehension that the Holy One, blessed be he, is completely one and unique. He and his knowledge are all absolutely one and knowing himself. He perceives and knows all the higher and lower beings, even unto a small worm in the sea and a minute mosquito, which will be in the center of the earth. There is nothing concealed from him. <clears throat> this knowledge does not add <clears throat> multiplicity and composition to him at all since it is merely knowledge of himself and his being and his knowledge are all one. Inasmuch as this is very difficult to envisage, therefore the prophet said, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And it is written, can you by searching find God? And it is written, have you eyes of flesh, or do you see as man sees? For man sees and knows everything with a knowledge that is external to himself. And the Holy One, blessed be he, by knowing himself. These are the words of Maimonides. See Hilkot Yesodei HaTorah. And the sages of the Kabbalah have agreed with him. As it is explained in Pardes of Rabbi Moses Cordovero of Blessed Memory. In the light of what has been said above, it is possible to understand the error of some scholars in their own eyes, may God forgive them, who erred and uh, misinterpreted in their study of the writings of the Ari of Blessed Memory and understood the doctrine of Zimsum, which is mentioned therein literally. But the Holy One, blessed be he, removed himself and his essence 
God forbid, from this world and only guides from above with individual providence all the created beings which are in the heavens above and on the earth below. Now, aside from the fact that it is altogether impossible to interpret the doctrine of Zimsum literally, for then it is a phenomenon of corporality. Concerning the Holy One, blessed be he who is set apart from them, i.e. the phenomena of corporeality. Many myriads of separations ad, inf you know, ad infinitum. They are also, they also did not speak wisely since they are believers, the sons of believers, that the Holy One, blessed be he, knows all the created beings in this lower world and exercises providence over them and pre-force his knowledge of them does not add plurality and innovation to him, for he knows all by knowing himself. Thus, it is, thus as it were, his essence and being and his knowledge are all one. And this is stated in Tikkunim, Tikkun 57, there is no place devoid of him, not in the upper world nor in the lower worlds. And in Ra'aya Mahemna, on the portion of Pincus, he grasps all and none can grasp him. He encompasses all worlds and no one goes out from his domain. He fills all worlds. He binds and unites a kind to its kind, upper with lower. And there is no closeness in, their, in the four elements. Only through the Holy One, blessed be he, is he as he is within them. The meaning of none can grasp him, grasp him is that there is no one, even amongst all the supernal intelligences, who can grasp with his intellect the essence and the being of the Holy One, blessed be he, as it is written in Tikkunim, hidden one of all the hidden, and no thought can grasp you at all. And even in that lower worlds, although he fills all worlds, he is not as the soul of man within his body, which is grasped within the body to the extent that it is affected and is influenced by the bodily changes and, and its pain. As from below, as from blows or cold or the heat of fire and the like. The Holy One, blessed be he, however, is not affected by the changes of this world from the summer to winter. And from day to night, as it is written, even the darkness does not obscure for you. And the night shines as the day, for he is not grasped within the worlds at all, even though he fills them. And this is also the meaning of he encompasses all worlds. For example, when a man reflects upon an intellectual subject in his mind or upon a physical matter, in his thoughts, then his intellect and thought encompass that subject whose image is formed in his thought or in his mind, but they do not encompass that subject in actual fact. The Holy One, blessed be he, however, of whom it is written, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. His thought and knowledge of all created beings actually encompasses each and every creature, for his knowledge is indeed its life force and that which brings it into existence from nothingness into being in actual reality. 
and he fills all worlds is the life force which clothes itself within the created being. It is powerfully contracted within it according to the intrinsic nature of the created being, which is finite and limited in quantity and quality, i.e. its significance and importance. As for example, the sun whose body is finite and limited quantitatively being approximately 167 times the size of the globe of the earth and whose quality and significance, namely its light is also limited as to the extent that it can give light for it cannot illuminate indefinitely since it is a created being. Likewise, all created beings are finite and limited for from the earth to the heaven is a journey of 500 years. Hence the life force, which is invested in them is greatly and powerfully contracted for it must undergo numerous and powerful contractions until there are brought into existence from its power and light created beings as they are finite and limited for the source of the life force is the breath of the mouth of the holy one blessed be he which clothes itself in the ten utterances of the torah and the breath of his mouth may he be blessed could have diffused without end and limit and created worlds infinite in their quantity and quality and given them life forever. And this world would not have been created at all. For just as the Holy One, blessed be he, is called infinite, so are all his attributes and actions infinite. For he and his attributes are one, i.e. the life force which emanates from his attributes, namely kindness and mercy, and his other holy attributes by means of their clothing themselves in the breath of his mouth, for he spoke and it was. And the world is built through kindness by the word of God and the breath of his mouth, which becomes a vessel and a garment for, his, for this kindness, like the snail whose garment is a part of his body. The Holy One, blessed be he, however, contracted the light, and life force in order that it should be able to diffuse from the breath of his mouth and invested it in the combinations of the letters of the 10 utterances and their combinations of combinations by substitutions and transpositions of the letters themselves and their numerical values and equivalents for each substitution and transposition indicates the descent of the light and life force degree by degree, so that it will be able to create and give life to creatures whose quality and significance is lower than the quality and significance of the creatures created from the letters and words of the 10 utterances themselves, in which the Holy One, blessed be he, in his glory and essence is clothed, for the 10 utterances are his attributes, and the numerical value indicates the progressive Diminution of the light and life force until there remains from it only the final level, which is that of the sun and number of kinds of powers and grades contained in the light and life force invested in the particular combination of a particular word. It is only after all these contractions and others like them, as his wisdom may he be blessed, has ordained that the light and life force could invest itself even in the lower created things, such as an inanimate 
inanimate stones and dust. Stone, for example, its name, Evan, indicates its source is in the divine name, which numerically equals 52, with an Aleph, one added to it from another name for a reason known to its creator. Now the name Ben itself of very high worlds, yet through numerous and powerful contractions, degree by degree, there descended from it a life force very greatly condensed until they could clothe itself in a stone. And this is the soul of the inanimate being, which gives it life and brings it into existence ex nihilo at every instant, as has been explained previously. This is the principle of he fills all worlds, which differs from the principle of he encompasses all worlds. And each power and grade of the life force can create beings according to its level, even unlimited in quantity and quality to give them life forever, since it is the power of God which issues and emanates from the breath of his mouth, and there is no restraint to him. But their quality will not be on, the level, on a level as high as the quality and level of the creatures which could be created from the power and degree of the letters themselves. So to summarize, the letter to Philippi, chapter 2, verse 6, who, though existing in the form of God, did not consider being equal to God a thing to be grasped. 1 Corinthians 13, 12, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then we will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Ruach HaKodesh has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and throughout all Judah and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So if you need commentary on those verses, Sefer uh, Sha'are Hayikud. <laughs> And I know that was a lengthy read, but there's just so much there. Well, um, one of the things I was thinking about as you were reading that is how when this recording is posted, we can hit pause and be like, hmm, let's think about this. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I uh, yeah. I had a, a Haftara series I, I did a few years ago uh, with a, a fellow Habendra of mine and uh, we used to be like, well, we can't pause it right now, but when we replay <laughs> it, we can pause it. <laughs> I know. Um, but I wanted to touch on Torah Wellsprings because I was reading that today. Hit it. Shabbos um, Kazon. Yeah. It's coming up this Shabbat. Which, yep. by the way, it's interesting because this Shabbat corresponds to Sukkot. So the three Shabbats correspond to the three Raglin. So I think it's interesting Shabbat Chazon, where we're given a vision of the third temple, which is corresponding to Yaakov, because the three temples correspond to the patriarchs. Three festivals correspond to the patriarchs. 
Shabbat Kazon, giving a vision of the third temple. The third temple is likened to a sukkah. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, this Shabbos is called Shabbos Kazon because the half Torah begins with the words Kazon Yeshiyahu. Mm. Yeshiyahu's vision. And again, the Gematria for Kazon is 72. Corresponding to the 72 names of Hashem. Also the Gematria Chesed. Chesed, yeah. This prophecy is about the sins of the Jewish nation, the destruction of Yerushalayim and exile. Why do we name a Shabbos after such, a, after such sad events? After Kedush Levi, Aika asked, why is this Shabbos called Kazon? It is not praise for Yisrael. The Barik Tober Rav, a blessed memory, Rushay Tzabak Zadik Aika, answers that the Shabbos is called Kazon vision because on this Shabbos Hashem shows every year how it will be when the third Beit Hamidash is built. Amen. Let's manifest that. <clears throat> he explains it with a mashal. A king gave an expensive set of clothing to his son, but his son, the prince, wasn't careful and ripped and soiled the clothing. The king ordered another set of clothes, but the prince ruined that one too. The king ordered a third set of royal clothes. He showed it to his son and said, when I see that you are responsible and you won't soil or rip your clothing, I will present you with these special garments. Once a year, the king took out the beautiful clothes and showed them to his son. At these times, he said to his son, when you are responsible and ready, I will give you the clothes. This is what occurs each year on Shabbos Kazon. Hashem shows us the third Beit HaMikdash and us. This can be yours when you are ready. I will give it to you. <clears throat> the Ohev Yisrael writes, Lo Ashar Shabbat Kazon, Hu Yoter, uh, Gadol, Be Ba'ala, Mekol, Shabbatot, Hashanah. One can say that Shabbos Kazon is the greatest Shabbos of the year. How can wow. this? How can this be? Which was, is funny because we have Shabbat Hagadol, yeah, like the great Shabbat, and it's uh, like, well, yeah. there's a greater Shabbat. <laughs> yeah, the one that precedes Pesach, you know, because Shabbat Hagadol points to redemption, leaving Mitzrayim. Isn't there something about Pesach and Tishbav being on the same day? Yeah, uh, I think I was looking at the Dafei um, Tang, and I think he touches on that. Um, anyway, keep going. I, I was going to yeah. look into. Okay, that. it would seem that this is that it is the lower Shabbos of the year during the nine days, moments before the destruction of the Holy Beit Hamikdash. Furthermore, according to Halakha, certain acts of mourning are observed on Shabbos Kazon. So how can this Shabbos be the greatest Shabbos of the year? The other thing to remember is 
the Shabbat that's immediately after the ninth of Av is Shabbat uh, Menukah. Yeah. Before answering, the Ohev Yisrael asked another question. He writes, I was asked to explain the Midrash that says, Lo haya yom, meyo le'Yisrael kayom, shenakrav Beit HaMikdash. There wasn't a holiday for Yisrael like the day the Beit HaMikdash was destroyed. This Midrash is a wonder. So in review, we have two questions. How can Shabbos Kazon be the highest Shabbos of the year? And two, how can we call the Day of Destruction a great holiday? <laughs> Actually took screenshots of this and posted it in the Strictly Tour group. As well you should, my friend. <laughs> no, one, no one laid the finger on it, though. <laughs> to be honest. Well like I said, you know, when I dropped that uh, Ketonet or the Garments of Light drop. Oh, yeah. There were like 15 pages or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, sometimes it's just like, man, you just got to put it out there. So, yeah, you know, like I read all your Ari's All drop that you uh, you shared for the 5th of Av. Yeah. So I know, you know, his name means lion. Yes. Shadow. Lion yeah. shadow. Yeah. And his Kabbalah is so high, if you can attach yourself to him, if you could pray at his grave, you would be connecting to him. You would be elevating your, your, your nefesh. Yeah. You'd be doing some serious rectification of your nefesh and connecting better with your, more deeply with your neshama. What was it like he could recite Zohar from memory or something like that? There was yeah. like the, the deeper inner uh, dimensions of Torah. It was like he's able to recite this by memory. I'm like, I can't even recite the, the written Torah by memory. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that I was able to get apples from the orchard. You know how long that book sat in the bookstore? I think it sat in there. When I first saw it, it was earlier this year. I think it was around maybe March when I went in there and I saw it. And then just like a couple months ago, we went there and went on a spending spree and it was still there. And I, I just grabbed it just like a yep. code, you know, the beauty about that whole thing is he specializes in getting his hands on hard to find separately. That's his specialty. That's how it, my wife, my wife found this one, which is the real incredible thing, you know, and he only sold this to me for $5. I'm like, <laughs> you know, I'm like, man, it, you, it and we up. both know it's priceless. Absolutely. Um, we're getting back that. to the tour wellspring here. Real Let's quick. It. it is, it is true. Uh, the Rama on, Shokan Aruch mentions that the evening of the first night, Seder, will always be on the same day of the week as the opening evening of the following Tisha B'Av. So we've been talking Pesach and the healing of the tongue and the gutturals, and here it is. 
Yeah, that's the, yeah, that's what the Faye Tang says. So he's quoting what was that source again? The Rama <coughs> on Shokan Oruk. Yeah. The Faye Tang says the same thing. The first day of Pesach always falls on the same day of the week as Tishba. Uh, the first day of Pesach represents redemption at Tishbaav at the superficial level represents exile, but at the deeper level, Tishbaav is the secret of final redemption. Birth of Mashiach. That's, what does he say? Where, where did Yeshua say those words of lament? The, out, the environs of the temple. You will not see me again until you learn to cry. Baruch haba Bashem Adonai. I derived that from Yochanan's Basora because that's where he spent most of his time. You know, what does he say to the, the Parashim and Zedekim? I have taught openly in the temple. Sitting. For all to hear. Why do you ask me? Why do you ask me? Ask those who heard me. You know why I say that, right? Because sitting in the temple, you can yeah. only do that if you're in the line of David. Which just oh, goes, yeah, yeah, the Rambam, Mishnah Torah. Yeah, which just goes to the point of the king teaching in the temple. That's I what Rambam says in Hilkot uh, Malachim. Only a descendant of Melech David can do that. And yep. he is of the descendancy of Melech David. Yeah, it's, it's little things like that that make you think, if there's such a textual criticism, then where's the follow-through on that? Yeah. Because he should have been arrested, if not worse for sitting in the temple teaching all the time. Yeah. Um, well, th that's interesting. If you continue that progression into, into Acts, where the Parashim say to uh, Peter and John, you tend to bring this man's blood upon us. Mm. You continue to teach in this name. Yeah. And, and what do we see... Okay, in normative Judaism, down through the centuries after the master's days, like what I've been reading from the Tanya here, you know, especially in Hasidic circles where they attach themselves to their Rebbe, their Talmud, their, their Talmud of their Rebbe, the later, the, the Lubi Victor Rebbe, Menachem Snearson, who passed away back in the 90s. They visit his grave. Why? He's a Zadik. May the merit of this Zadik protect us. Amen. You know, and we should be that way with Yeshua, our master. Yep. You know, because he's the true Zadik who's bringing us the final redemption. Did you know, if you look at the Hebrew word for grave, it's kever. But if you rearrange the letters of kever, you get karov. 
So in other words, what am I getting at? How do you pray at the grave of the Mashiach? Because he's not in there. You do it by Karov, drawing close to Hashem. And that's what the letter Kuf, right? Yep. Because it's, uh, it's the root of Rivka. Yeah. And you know what? Another one from Rabbi Foreman at Aleph Beta is the tears of Rachel. Mm. I feel like we just read that a couple of weeks ago, didn't we? I know. I remember we were sharing it. That. You, you guys got so excited about it that it's like, you know. It was a feeding frenzy. Yes. Only you and Yosef got it. I don't think anyone else really understood the true significance of it. Because she could be seen as a righteous rebel scene. 100%. You know? Um, yeah. You weren't buried outside the land for nothing. I <laughs> mean, <laughs> is it any wonder that Yeremiahu says, you know, she cries and she won't be consoled? Right. When Yosef was sold into slavery, to the Edomites, Yaakov wouldn't be consoled. Did you really just go there? Oh my. Sir, if we weren't flying warp speed right now, I would call <laughs> the authorities. <laughs> Too bad they can't I'm, I'm trying to avoid a warp core breach here, but it's not Too late. Too late. <laughs> You I can't, get, so the, I can't get the saucer section clear in time, so get ready for the blast wave. <laughs> wow. Uh, man, suit up, strap in, get ready for a high G burn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. You still in Wellsprings, or did you switch over to Dafe? One more sentence from Dafe. Uh, uh, Pesach represents faith. For matzah is called the bread of faith. On Tishbaav, the first generation was denied the entry to the land due to unbelief, which is commonly known. So eat matzah. Well, or don't eat matzah on Tishbaav. <laughs> but think about the the implications of matzah. Well, yeah. don't think of, don't think about food. Just don't don't do it. Think about faith. There we go. <laughs> yeah, because I'm thinking about the mitzvah coming up, you know, <sighs> Yom HaRishon. <laughs> oh, my gosh, I'm scared. <laughs> um, yeah, Tishba <laughs> was the day when the two temples were destroyed. But at the deeper level, it is the day when the third temple will be rebuilt, as you pointed out earlier. Amen. Bring that temple. Okay, so I'm going to get back to what we see. The Gemara and Baba Batra 99 says that the two, uh, this is the part I really love, the two Karavim and the Beit HaMikdash would face one another when Yedin served Hashem. However, when Yedin, Yedin did not serve Hashem, the Karavim turned away from each other. It was a miracle because they were gold figures, but they had a life source. And they moved on their own in accordance with the connection between Hashem and the Jewish nation. Didn't you just read that from Sha'ar Hayichud? That's why I'm connecting these two. Okay. 
That's exactly <laughs> why I read from, from this. I mean, it's incredible. <laughs> I mean, as okay. as we say in the hood, you're styling them. <laughs> oh boy, and he's just all over the top of it on this one, man. Because all in Yoma Fifty Four say when the Goyim entered the the Kodesh, the Kedush Kedushim. They found the Caribbean embracing one another. I mean, you got the bear hug going, man. I mean, (laughs) so here's here's Rabbi Raskin. He brings this down. He says, We can understand this through a parable, Lakute Sakot. When a teacher is giving over an idea to his students, he must be completely devoted and invested in his students to ensure that they truly receive his knowledge. If a teacher suddenly gains a new flash of insight while he's teaching, he is left with a dilemma. Does he cease speaking to his students in order to grasp this novel insight? Or does he continue speaking and risk losing this insight forever? Logically, because he truly loves his students and wants to convey the deepest insights to them, he must stop teaching and focus on this new level of profundity. The deeper the, the deeper he delves into his thoughts, the more he separates from his students. They think he has lost his train of thought or is angry with them, but his separation is only temporary. It is driven by his love for them by his desire to return with even greater insights. This allegedly sheds light on the purpose of exile. The destruction of the temple made it seem as though God has left us. But you just said the Caribbean were bear hugging. (laughs) But the true purpose of this seeming separation is to acquire new knowledge and insight. This is the meaning of why the Caribbean were hugging each other. Hashem is like, you may think I'm separate, but actually this is going to do something that you don't understand at the moment. Yeah. So really, if you follow that to its logical conclusion, Hashem was like, don't worry, the temple will be back. Like when Mashiach was put in the grave, and temporarily wrapped up, it was like, don't worry, he'll be back. Or like when he ascended and disappeared from everybody, and the two Caribbean showed up and was like, don't worry, he'll be back. <laughs> the other thing about that is, you know, with Yeshua's death, the veil in the temple was went from the top to the bottom. And that was a very heavy garment at that. Yeah, crazy thing about that, a Tish Bob study we were doing like maybe five years ago, I think, if not, it's really close. And this is going to probably sound so familiar to people who are familiar with Islam. Apparently, the parochet of the Beta Mikdash is woven by 72 virgins. <laughs> and for that fact, the parochia is five. Yes, five. 
10 breaths thick. Those numbers are no accident. So anyway, <laughs> Tisha Bob study, learning about the destruction of the temple. Come across things like that. Yeah. See, the original <laughs> meme asks, at that time when the nation was guilty of the three cardinal averos, idolatry, murder, and adultery, the Caribbean should be looking away from each other. Because I'll say when the Yidin are doing Hashem's will, the Caribbean look away from one another. So why were they facing each other and even embracing each other moments before the Korban, Beit HaMikdash? The Ohev Yisrael answers this question with the Gemara from Yevamot 62 that says that love between people increases before a separation. The Ohev Yisrael explains that at the time of the destruction, the love between Hashem and the Jewish nation was at its peak, as it was before a separation. We now understand why Shabbos Kazon is the greatest Shabbos of the year. Why the Midrash calls the day of the destruction the greatest Yom Tov. And there's a footnote here that uh, grabbed my attention from the Kaim uh, Fuller Shiner. Uh, from Nefesh HaKaim 1.8 writes, It is known that one Kiruv represents Hashem, and the other one represents the Jewish nation. The degree of closeness and connection of the Jewish people to Hashem, or Kashve Shalom, the opposite, was miraculously and wondrously measured by the position of the Kiruvim. If the eyes of the Jewish nation were turned to Hashem, the Kiruvim faced each other. But if the Jewish nation turned away, or if they turned slightly to the side, that would immediately be noticed by the positions of the Kiruvim. If Kasve Shalom, they turn entirely around, the Caribbean would suddenly turn away from each other and be back to back. And so, and continuing, and three, and we understand why the Caribbean were facing each other before the Korban. It was moments before the separation, and that's when love is the strongest. The Holy Seferim teach us that Hashem's strongest expression of compassion manifests itself when Dean turns into Rakhamim. Notice how those words sound similar. Yeah, Dean Rakhamim. <laughs> yeah. Which means when his harsh judgment, punishments, and difficult times transforms into love, forgiveness, and compassion. This is the reason that uh, Shah Lashudes time is a time of immense rakamim in the afternoon when dean and harsh justice are present during the weekdays and on shabbos the dean turns into rakamim compassion this reminds me of why the placement of the asamnu prayer uh-huh and avinu malkenu are basically together in, in my sudors because it's in the Mika prayers and it's the afternoon when Dean is at its most intense. Ooh, because that's when Mashiach was offered up. Yeah. We're trying to sweeten the forces of judgment. 
I mean, what do we do with the libation at Sukkot? You know, bro, seriously, did you just go there? Because <laughs> that's the blood and water. In Masekata and Ni, what is it that they're talking, the sages are talking about? They're talking about rain, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And also, the libation ceremony consists mainly of water. Yeah. And what does Yeshua stand up and say, if any man thirsts, let him come to me at the end of the festival? Yeah. Water, they dilute the wine with water. Why? Because it's symbolic of diluting judgment, of bringing hased. Mm, turning water into wine, but then wine into water. Mm. Yes. <laughs> Again, this is the whole picture of the blood and water coming out of the body of Mashiach as well, because during the festival of Sukkot, when the libation ceremony is going on, there's also an uh, episode of the Lulavim being beat towards the uh, the golden or the uh, the outer altar. So you have the outer altar covered in Lulavim, which are like in the spears, and then you got the blood and the water going on. And then you got people running around with the etrog and the circuits going around in the circles around the, the altar. Like, oh my goodness, you know what just popped in my head is what? when Yeshua is standing before the, the parashim and the zedekim and they strike him. Wow, wow, yeah, that's intense, man. And then you have Shaul and Acts. Same thing happened to him. And what is his response to the Kohen Gadol? You whitewashed wall. Why did you strike me? I said nothing disrespectful to you. Yeah. Yeshua was accused of the same thing. Why do you disrespect the Kohen Gadol? Mm. a false accusation for both of them another thing about Shaul of him not departing Judaism that's right I mean yeah (laughs) Um, and in case anyone thinks he was such a Greek advocate there's a whole chapter talking about him speaking in Hebrew to silence the crowd. So, Shaul is definitely not divorced from Torah. No. Just like followers of Mashiach, by the way, we should not be divorced from Torah. No. Yeah, so quickly here, the Yid, HaKadosh, a blessed memory, says that during the three weeks, the entire weekday is a time of Deen. Therefore, the Shabbosim of the three weeks are very holy. Mm. The entire Shabbos becomes like Shalashodes time. And here to this idea is found in Lekadodi, when we are at the lowest levels, Amikabekah, the Shabbosim are the greatest. 
Rav Lakshabat. This explains why Shabbos Kazon is a very high and holy Shabbos, the loftiest Shabbos of the year. As we wrote above, the Midrash says that the greatest holiday for the Jewish nation was when the Beit Hamidash was destroyed. And we wrote the, the Abderav, the Orkaim explanation that the holiday was the intense love before the separation. Mm. Others explain that the holiday is because the destruction saved the Jewish people from annihilation. And immediately when I read that, I thought of Moshe showing divine anger at Israel and they were spared collectively as a whole. You know that connects to Pincus, by the way. That also Pincus, yeah. Shavile Pincus literally says that uh, in Parsha Balak, that Bilam knew the moment of Hashem's wrath. And uh, that was represented by Pincus doing the, uh, the shish kebab thing to uh, Zimri and Cosby. So the moment of wrath and the divine uh, measure of it was embodied in Pincus. Yeah, Kanati, he acted in my zeal. Yeah. As so when you Moshe. look at, yeah, that's crazy. The th yeah, I thought, you know, I thought that was an irony, but no, it was of necessity. Because Moshe says to Hashem, don't be angry because I don't want you to be approached. Let me show divine anger and go down there. And the smashing of the tablets turned out to be an unfortunate necessity. Did you just use the terminology, go down there? Let me go down there? Well, actually, Hashem said, you know, get down there. They've corrupted themselves. That's crazy. So he goes down there, he sees it, the letters depart to look out and smash, according to the Midrash. Man. So Hashem sending down an intercessor. In a sense, the smashing of the Lakota, I mean, 3,000 died that day. But what do we see in Acts chapter 2? 3,000 yeah. were added. That's Ratification right. for yep. the 3,000 who worship the calf. But it has not been forgotten. Hashem never lets them forget about the Egel Sahab. It has, right. yet, it has yet to be fully rectified. Um, but, you know, then there's the dichotomy between Eliyahu and Pincus and Moshe. Where Eliyahu says, I have been zealous for you, but it's not the same. The, it's the, same the spelling is the same, but the pronunciation is different. Just like with Aika and Ayeka. Ayeka, yeah. So there's a Gezerah Shabbat for you right there. Nice. Um, but, yeah, so we got like All right, One more big point, man. One more. Yeah, I'm going to hit the the the, um, the Fei Tang here. Um, see, the gematria of Tishbaav is 780, and the spelling out of the seven letters in gematria is 1847, meaning the hidden pregnant letters in gematria is 1847 
minus 780 equals 1067, which is exactly the gematria of Beit HaShlafshi, the third temple. Oh, oh, okay. Which is also 1067. Okay, so go back. So, basically represents the third temple. Yeah. That. that. <laughs> that yeah, it's just making sure that's that's what I heard. Cause yeah, okay, the gematria for Tishbaav is seven eighty, <clears throat> and the spelling out of the seven letters in that word. Is 847. Seven things before creation to make creation complete. Good night. And what's interesting, the seven, Shabbat, eight, Shemini, Olam Haba. Yeah. Spelling out of the seven letters of Tishbaav in Gematria is 1,847, meaning the hidden Pregnant letters in Gematria is 1,847 minus 780, which is the actual Gematria of the two words, is 1,067, which is exactly the Gematria of the third temple. Beit Shlishi, which is also 1,067. This comes to reveal that the potential for the rebuilding of the third temple is pregnant with Tishbaav, exactly the same day when the two temples were destroyed. Which is the significance of nine, nine months of pregnancy. When the temple was destroyed on Tishbaav, What's left is the vision to rebuild. Oh, oh, mm. what does Peter say? You are lively stones fit together. That's the vision. Hence, this Shabbat is called Shabbat of Vision, Kazon. The difference between the Holy Temple and Tishabaav is exactly the gematria of vision. With a yod, which is 81. Wow. Yeah, Holy Temple, Beit HaMikdash, 861, Tish, Tisha B'Av, 780. And you subtract 780 from 861 and you have 81, which is Kazon with a yod. So you can say you can say the word chazon with a yod in it. Apparently, yeah, that's what he did here. I'm telling you, man, Hebrew is like it's off the charts because the whole thing about you can say Yerushalayim by taking out a letter, you can still yeah. say the same. <laughs> Just like you can still have chazon be chazon even though you add the letter yod. That's wow. See, then it gets into Shihon and Og revealed. In this week's Parsha, 
the victory over Shihon in August recounted with greater details to usher in Tisha B'Av. According to rabbinical tradition, August, the one that escaped to inform Avram of the captivity of Lot. Yeah, Garments of Light says he was called a refugee because the four kings, yeah, the four kings actually took out his people and he was the last survivor. So I'm Raphael, Carly O'Mara and all those people. Um, so basically they took out races of giants and Og was like considered to be a refugee from the great wrath of these kings. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, Bayavo ha palit, Bayaged la Abraham ha ivri. This was the first day of Pesach, according to rabbinical tradition, when Abraham was making the round round cakes, goat, which is the unleavened bread, after which Og was named, meaning round. Og wanted to have Avram killed, thus the faith of the first day of Pesach was corrupted into the unbelief of Tisha B'Av as represented by Og, which must be conquered prior to Tisha B'Av. And guess who else had those Ugo? Korak. It says that he actually went around giving everyone cake to persuade them to join his side of the rebellion. And he used the word Ugoat. Talk about bribery, man. Just yeah. Add that to the list of uh, Alvera. <laughs> mm hmm. Yair, the son of uh, Manasseh. Yeah. Inherited the land of Og, king of Basan. Deuteronomy 3.14. The gematria of son of Manasseh is exactly the same as king of Bashan, which is 447, fittingly. Nice. So someone yeah, with the same gematria inhabits or inherits his land. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Yair means it shall light, whereas the gematria Og and his partner Shihom is exactly the same as light or, meaning they represent the other side of light, the concealment of light, i.e. darkness. Og 79 Shihom. 128, 207. Therefore, Yair, the son of Manasseh, represents the original light that will eventually be revealed to dispel the darkness of Og and Shihon. Uh, okay, there are four tagines, the little crowns on the top of the letters. Mm -hmm. On the first tet in Torah, which is the first letter of good, Tov, to describe the primordial light, the gematria of Tet is nine, with her four tagings. The gematria is nine times four is 36, which is the secret of the primordial light, i.e. the light of Mashiach that was concealed. There is one opinion that Shihon symbolizes Esau and Og symbolizes Ishmael, the two arch enemies of Israel at the end of days. Shihon and Og must be conquered prior to entering the land of Israel. It's interesting that he notes that because what do you, 
What do you see? Who's in control of Israel right now, politically? Yeah, Sihon and Og, basically. <laughs> yeah, the heir of Rav. According to what you just basically, read. Yeah, I mean, so they have to be conquered. And what are they doing right now? They're passing laws against the Torah observant communities. Mm-hmm. Saying you can't observe Torah. We're going to even desecrate Shabbat. They even allow bus service in Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv and Yerushalayim are totally opposite of each other. Uh, yeah, that's really disturbing to get into, but yeah, to I'm your point, gonna, yeah. <laughs> I know, I'm not going to, I just, you know. Yeah, we don't, we don't want to go there. <laughs> yeah. Goodness. Yeah, Moses was able to conquer Shihon, Esau, but was afraid of Og, Ishmael. According to Zohar, Moshe, Moshe's fear was due to Og's merit of circumcision. Og was circumcised the same day as Ishmael. The alliance of Shihon and Og symbolizes the Antichrist or Anti-Mashiach. The antithesis of Mashiach for Shihon, Og, King of Bashan, in Gematria is, want to take a guess? No, I'm out. Six, six, six. Oh, really? The number of the beast. So this is who? Shihon and Og, king of Bashan. Is that Gematria? Hmm. Oh, okay, so why do we you need to... wise make these calculations, as it says in Revelation? Oh, sounds just, yep. Why do we need to know the size of Og's bed, which is four by nine in dimension, Deuteronomy 3.11? This is the antithesis of four tagines on the letter Tet. The darkness that concealed the primordial lights. The triangle number of 36 is 666. The triangle number of 36, huh? Wow. Oh, <laughs> For this reason, the last book of the Torah, of Torah Devarim, is the recount of the final 36 days of Moshe according to rabbinical tradition and the last enemy that must be destroyed prior to entry to the land of Shihon, to the land of Shihon and Og. The final battle is called Gog and Magog, which will be waged by Ishmael and Edom. Their gematria is 520. Ishmael is 451 and Gog Magog is 69, 520. 520 is exactly the gematria of Og, king of Bashan, spelled missing a Vav, 1 Kings 419. According to Zohar, Gog is Edom and Magog is Ishmael, the arch enemy of Israel at the end of days. And so the gematria of Shihon, king of Heshbon, Og, king of Bashan, is 1,110, Edom and Ishmael is 
Gog and Magog is 69 for a total of 1,681. And 1,681 is 41 squared. And the triangle number of 41 is 861, which is the Gematria of Beit HaMikdash, alluding to the building of the Third Temple after the final war. The difference in Gematria is... 1,681 minus 861 equals 820 equals 1,640 divided by 2, meaning the other part of 41 squared is exactly the average number of Shihon and Og in Psalm 136, 19, and 20, which is part of the morning prayer. Shihon, king of the Amorites, for his mercy endureth forever. 794 and Og, king of Bashan, for his mercy endures forever. 846, 1640. The two verses above is about the slaying of Shihon and Og, and 1640 is exactly the gematria of the genealogy of Yeshua, meaning it is by Mashiach shall the final enemy be destroyed. Yeshua. Amen. And, and note that Toldot is spelled with the two Bobs. Two Bobs. Complete spelling. The generations restored. And Ben David, Ben Abraham included with that. Edom and Ishmael. Edom to Ishmael is like Shihon to Og. They are partners. Ishmael is the waste product of Abraham, the said. Esau is the waste product of Yitzhak, Gevura, and Edom is the waste product of Yisrael, Tiferet. Even though Edom at the simple level is another name for Esau, at the deeper level, Edom is the primordial tohu, chaos, according to Kabbalah. And represents the antithesis that precedes Israel. Esau and Yaakov are brothers. The descent of Esau produces Edom, and the ascent of Yaakov produces Israel. As it is written, He that is filthy, let me be filthy still, and he that is holy, let him be holy still. Revelation 22 11. The spelling out of Esau and Gematria is exactly the the matri of Edom and Ishmael as follows. Esau, Edom, 51, spelling out Ayin, Sheen, and Bav, and uh, Yisrael, 451, total 502. The verse describing the genealogy for both Ishmael without the first Bav and Esau is also the same in Gematria. See, Elay told Dot, uh, Yisrael, and note that the two Bobs are missing in this word, defective spelling. Be'ilei told Dot, Esav, who, Edom. And told Dot, in that verse, is spelled with one Bob. Uh, the Oat. Right. So both have identical gematria, uh, 1,321. 
the alliance of Ishmael and Edom at the end of time will bring forth what is known as the Antichrist, i.e. the antithesis to Mashiach. For the three names in Gematria is exactly the Gematria of Mashiach spelled out as follows. Edom 51, Israel 451, Esau 376, Tola 878. Mashiach spelled out in Gematria is 878. So how are they getting uh, 451 for Yisrael? Actually, it's Yishmael, excuse me. Oh, Yish, okay. Yeah, Got Yishmael. It. That makes yeah. sense. Huh? Yeah. Correction. <laughs> yeah, so Mashiach spelled out Mem, Shin, Yod, Het, 878. It follows that the Mashiach spelled out in full has the gematria of 888 with his full revelation as setting an end to darkness, Ket Shem Lahoshek in Job 28.3, which in gematria is also 888. The Mashiach HaMashiach uh, spelled out Hey Mem Shin Yod Het 888. This means that the pregnant letters, i.e., that which spelled out the letter, is 888 minus 363 equals 525 with which is exactly the gematria of Yeshua ben Elohim in gematria plus one as the kolel. See, then the ministry of Yeshua, the timeline of Yeshua is not explicit in the New Testament, but much can be derived based on the Hebrew calendar. Since John was Eliyahu, and tradition has it that Eliyahu would come at Pesach, it may be surmised that John started his ministry from Pesach night in year one. Yeshua first appeared on the scene from the Jordan River. The obvious connection is with the 42nd journey of the children of Israel from the first redemption. It is well established that the Shabbat mentioned in Luke 4.16 was a was a Yom Kippur, which was preceded Yeshua's 40 days fast in the wilderness. It may be surmised that Yeshua's 40 days fast was to parallel the 40 days of repentance from Elul to Yom Kippur, according to rabbinical tradition. This would have placed Yeshua's uh, mikvah in the month of Av, which precedes Elul, and what day would be more appropriate to embark on his official ministry than the ninth of Av, or Tisha Av. Based on this assumption and the fact that three Passovers are explicitly mentioned in John 2.13, 6.4, and 11.55, the timeline of Yeshua's ministry, including that of John, which is the precursor, may be established as follows. And he has a chart here. 
um, in Nissan, year 15, year two will be 30. And then year three, 30, and then year four, 15. ER would be 29, 29, 29. Savan, 30, 30, 30. Tammuz, 29 days. In other words, this chart is covering his three-year ministry. Because you see three numbers here. Yeah. For the three years. So he's accounting for the number of months, number of days within those months, according to rabbinical de decree. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's Sanhedrin 9 in the Talmud. Mm -hmm. See, so Tammuz, all those three years had 29 days. Av had 30 days, those three years. Elul had 29 days. Tishrei had 30 days. Heshvan had 29, Kislev had 30, Tevet had 29, Shabbat had 30, Adar had 29. The total number of days for each year, the first year 339, the second year 354, 354 for the third year, and then you have 15, which totals uh, 1062. So starting from the 15th day of Nisan in year one, which is the first day of Pesach, the supposed start of John the Baptist, there are exactly 1062 days until the 15th day of Nisan in year four, the completion of Yeshua's ministry for a total of 36 months i.e. the revelation of the 36 primordial lights that was hidden from the creation. 1062 is exactly the gematria of one of the most important prophecies about the coming of Mashiach as follows. Uh, uh, Shiloh, Velo, uh, uh, Yichat, Amim. Shiloh, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be, Genesis 49.10. The initial letters of the four words can permeate to spell Yeshua. Nice. And the final letters of the four words can permeate to spell the death, Hamot. Yeah, his death definitely is bringing in a gathering, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I see the remaining seven letters can permeate to spell he will fulfill the praise. Yaqim Halel. So, first letters Yeshua 386, uh, Yaqim Halel 225, Hamavet 451, total 1062. The phrase he will fulfill also means he will raise up, which is the word used in another prophecy about Mashiach. Yeah, a prophet will the Lord thy God raise up unto thee from the midst of thee, of thy brethren. To him, lo, in Gematria, 
is exactly 36, i.e. the 36 months, the 36 hidden lights. There are exactly 111 days between the first day of Pesach and Tishbaav, and 111 is the Gematria of Pele, wonderful, which is another name of Mashiach according to Isaiah 9.5. Since Tishbaav and the first day of Pesach always fall on the same day of the week, it means the start of John's ministry, the start of Yeshua's ministry, and the completion of Yeshua's ministry fell on the same day of the week. Hence, the end is wedged in the beginning. 111 is subtracted from 1062, revealing the exact days of Yeshua's ministry as 1062 minus 111 equals 951 days. And 951 is exactly the gematria of two primary titles of Mashiach, Mashiach ben Adam, Mashiach ben Elohim. 455, 496. The sum is 951. Tisha can also be written as Tet with the letter Tet alluding to the first Tet in the Torah i.e. the hidden light of 36, when Tet is spelled out, revealed as Tet Ba'av, the Gematria is 424, which is exactly the same as Mashiach ben David. When Mashiach ben David is revealed on Tish Ba'av, yeah, Mashiach ben David, ben Tisha'av, the gematria is 1,206, which is exactly the same as light, when Aleph is augmented to 1,000, which is Aleph. The full revelation of the primordial hidden light. May it be soon in our days. May it be Amen. even this Tishbab. Amen. Well, that is our rumination for this week, even though I know we could go a lot longer, but we yeah. will we will cut it right there. So if you'll proceed with the Brocken and I'll follow up after you. Okay. I thank you, O Hashem, my God, that you have established my portion with those who dwell in the study hall, and you have not established my portion with idlers, for I rise early and they arise early. I arise early for words of Torah, and they arise early for idle words. I toil, and they toil. I toil and receive reward, and they toil and do not receive reward. I run, and they run. I run to the life of the world to come, and they run to the pit of destruction. As it is written, and you, O God, will lower them into the well of destruction. Men of bloodshed and deceit shall not live out half their days. But as for me, I will trust in you. Baruch Ata Adonai Eloheinu Melakaolam. Asher Natan Lanu Torat Emet Vekaye Olam Nata Betokainu. Baruch Ata Adonai Notain Ha Torah. Amen.